speaking to me and ministering to my heart. But as you get there, I'll kind of give you a little background on Samson. Samson is first mentioned. We're going to be talking about Samson, the guy with long hair, strong guy. Uh, Samson is first mentioned in Judges chapter 13. And we get a glimpse of his character. First, he had a miraculous verse, we, uh, birth. He was birthed miraculously. His, you know, uh, his parents were well above the age. Number two, he was called to be separated to God and his ways, into God's ways. Number three, he had a purpose to be holy and set apart, but to deliver God's people from oppression from the Philistines. We see this in chapter 13, verses 4 through 5. His name, Samson, means like the sun. And in Judges chapter 13, verse 24 through 25, the Bible tells us that he grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began, began to move upon him for divine purposes. And, you know, the same thing with us. We're, we're born miraculously. We have the second birth. We're, we're called to be separated to God. We have a holy purpose to live for God and to give the people the gospel so that they could be saved. And we are to be like the Son, like the Son of God. But in four, chapter 14, we see his troubles, this miraculous beginning. Uh, you know, we see the troubles that begin in his life. And in verse 1 of chapter 14 through 1 through 3, it says, Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a woman of Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And he went up to his father and his mother and he told them saying, uh, I see a woman of Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of the brethren among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? They were their enemies at this time. Samson said to her, said to him, his father Get her for me, for she pleases me well. So we can learn five points or four points from uh, this particular beginning of the downfall of Samson. And it's a lesson for me. I could fall. It's a message for you. And it's a message that we need to take heed of. Our, our father loves us so much that he will warn us when we're off track. You see, from great beginnings to a downward spiral, we see here. His problem was he heard what was going down in Gaza. He was going in down into, in, in, into enemy's territory, a place where what was known for loose morality. Loose morality. Anything goes. Number two, he was not behaving or living according to God's word. He saw, he was living by what he saw. He saw a woman. He was living by his eyes and he was following his eyes instead of following the Lord. Number three, he desired to be unequally yoked with a non-believer. He put away his desires or he put his desires above God's ways. And that could happen to us. And then next we see he becomes insistent and demanding to his father, get her for me. But here we see in, in verse 4 of chapter 14, as we see both the sovereignty of God, that God will accomplish what he purposes in spite of man's disobedience or man's condition or the condition of the vessel. See, judgment is coming to a cruel people. It's just a matter of time. I named this study this morning playing with matches. And the reason is given here in chapter 13, verses 1, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them, his own children, into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 40 is the number of judgment. Why would God deliver his own people to a wicked people? To torment and harass. Because it said they did evil in the sight of the Lord. So for 40 years they were under the oppression of the enemy. 
See, God dealt with Israel like he's going to deal with the Philistines here in chapter 16. But here in Judges chapter 14, verse 4, it says, And his father and mother did not know that it was the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at this time they had dominion over Israel. So Samson now falls in love with a Philistine lady, And things don't go right in his life. Much of it has to do with Samson's attitude, like much of our problems today come from a lot from within the heart, our own attitude. You see, Samson was rude. He was cocky. And during his bachelor party, he was going to get married. During his bachelor party, he makes a bet and he gives a riddle to the men of the town and they can't figure it out. And they feel like Samson is mocking them. And he was. He was mocking them. And so they told his wife, if you don't tell us the riddle, we will burn both you and your family. And so he tells her as she beckons him. And she goes and tells him. And he has to pay up. He loses the bet. And he becomes a sore loser and he throws a temper tantrum and he takes off. Here he's at his bachelor party. You know, he's making this riddle, makes his bet, and, you know, they, they, he loses. He throws a tantrum, and he just runs away for a time. He returns here in chapter 14, verse 20, and Samson, it says, Samson's wife is given to his companion who had been his best man. Wow, things ain't going right. So in chapters 14 and 15, we see that, Samson does experience some victories physically, but he also experiences mental, emotional defeats. As losing the bet, he was wounded by his pride. He, we could be lo- uh, wounded by our pride. Our pride could take us down by being wounded by our pride. Or, and he lost his wife. He was losing things. So we pick up here in chapter 16 and verses 1 through 3. It says, after this, now Samson went down to Gaza and he saw a harlot there and he went into her. He had sex. And when the, uh, the Gazites t- were told Samson was here because at this time he was notorious. They surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the gates of the city. And they were quiet all night saying in the morning... When it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low all night. Then he arose at midnight and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, and he pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders. And he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Lessons from Samson here. We can learn lessons from him. See, we too, as believers, can be moved away from God's word, from God, from his word. And we'll find ourselves progressing towards perversion as even God's people. He was called. He was separated to God. But he was moved away from God, his word, and he found himself progressing towards perversion. And it could happen to us. You might see this happening with your own morality and things in your life. We definitely see in the condition of our country today, as our country creeps away from God's moral standards, it's getting more creepy. It's getting creepy. You know, the things that they're teaching children and the perversion and the moral uh, climate that we see is, is getting more wicked as we leave the standards of God's morals. Number two, it's never wise to do things morally contrary than what is clearly laid out for us here in Scripture. And number three, we have three enemies. We have three enemies as believers, the Bible tells us. We have our flesh is our enemy. We have to struggle with it. We have to deny it. We have the world and we have spiritual opposition. The world... In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, it makes it clear for all that is of the world is of the flesh. 
The lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, verse 38, to his students, to his followers, his disciples, he said, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. For indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't put confidence in your flesh. Christians. You see, our enemy is spiritual opposition. We have an unforeseen foe who, desi- who promises lies to us. He tells us things are, 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 this is what you need. These are the things that you need. These are the things that will satisfy you. You're missing out on all the fun in the world. Come on, just go out. He influences us and he entices us and he appeals to our flesh. He appeals to your flesh. He knows what you like. He appeals to your flesh. He entices. He appeals to our flesh to set us up for destruction. He encourages you to strike the flame of excitement. He encourages you to play with matches. You're going to get burned. You see, a lot of times we think it's no big, big deal. It's no big deal. Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 32, because it is a big deal. Our spiritual opposition is a big deal. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Peter, behold, Satan desires to have you and to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed to you, prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You see, Peter was prideful. His pride. Lord, even if everyone denies you, Lord, I will never deny you. Peter, Satan has asked for you by name. And he wants to sift you as we. He's going to want to destroy you. And guys, the enemy wants to destroy us. He's not playing games. His time is short. And Peter did fall. But Jesus said, I prayed for you that you would, your, your faith should not fail. You failed, but your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, when you learn the lesson, with that lesson, strengthen your brethren. Learn from your lessons. And we see the enemy has tactics. The enemy has tactics. He wanted to destroy Peter. We see the enemy's tactics in the early church in Acts chapter 5, verses 3. Peter said to Ananias... And his wife, Sapphira, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? You see, Ananias and his wife got got caught up in his desire to be praised. Their desire was to be praised. That the church would say, wow, look at these. They're amazing. These are amazing people. They got caught up in praise. We need to be careful. Be careful that... The lust of our eyes or the pride uh, won't get us because the enemy of our soul is just crouching and waiting for an opportunity to destroy you and me. I know. He messes with me all the time. He's always studying. He's always looking for opportunities to get you, especially when you're not supposed to, where you're, when you're not supposed to be where you're not supposed to be. Especially when you're not where you're supposed to be. And he was in Gaza. He went to Gaza where he wasn't supposed to be. Don't go where you're not supposed to be. And doing things that you're not supposed to be doing. God knows. God knows what we do. And he knows where we go. But it says here they, they were quiet all night saying in the morning... When it's daylight, we will kill him. They were unsuccessful here for a time. But the enemy of our soul is patient. You might seem to find your way out of certain situations or weasel your way out by lying low like Samson did. It's no big deal. No one saw me. I'm getting away with it. Or by manipulation. But the enemy of our soul does play the long game he's waiting 
for you to be in a more, more vulnerable position for him to strike. He's waiting for you to be vulnerable so that he may strike you. And it says, so Samson lay low till midnight. You see, Samson here was confident in his own strength. He arose at midnight and he took the doors of the gate of the city and the two doorposts. He pulled them out from the ground and he carried them on his shoulders to Hebron, like 20 miles away, mocking the enemy. He was mocking his enemy. Their gates were a symbol of strength and security. But, mo- but his pride here, so we have to be careful of pride because he's so proudful here, he's being self-confident in his own strength. And we can't be confident in our own strength. We're, we're too, the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. Samson here is playing with matches. He's cocky. He's self-confident. He's playing with matches. And he's blinded. Sin will blind us. You know, here he thought he was no big deal, but he was playing with matches. And the same goes with us. It's It's a scary place to be when those around us see our sin and it's obvious, but we're oblivious to it. It's a dangerous place to be. The enemy of our souls will at times fail in bringing us down. But don't be fooled that he doesn't give up. The enemy, the enemy is persistent. You see, he will find the right bait that will spark your attention. He will find the right bait that will spark your attention. Each and every one of you, and myself as well. I have to be careful. But after he gets away, we see here in verses 4 through 5, afterwards it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of uh, Sorek, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies. That, we, that by what means we may overpower him and that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So, sadly, Moses doesn't, or sorry, Samson doesn't learn from his mistakes. He doesn't learn from his mistakes. He's doing the same thing. He, another woman. This is the third woman. First it was the woman he lost. And then he was the harlot. And now here it's Delilah. He doesn't learn from his mistakes. Again, he's seeking to be unequally yoked together with someone who lives in direct contrast of what he believes or what he professes. You see, the enemy will lure you. And he comes by way of enticement. These enticements that your enemy will come to you will appeal delightful to you. They will appeal to you. They will be pleasing on the surface. But the end goal and the intent is bent on binding you overpowering you and afflicting you and with the sole purpose of destroying you. That's our enemy. He desires to rob, kill, and destroy. The enemy is not omniscient. Omniscient. He's not present everywhere. uh, And he's he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. We see this. But he will take study notes to study your life. He will take study notes to study your life. We, uh, Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 4, verse 13 and 23, that they are, the angels are watchers or the demons are watching and they're studying us to see what tickles our fancy, to destroy us. You see, if he, the enemy can't cause you to fall one way, he will try another. There's an acronym, MICE, M-I-C-E. It is used in counterintelligence training to remind their trainees 
of four general motivations that could lead somebody to commit treason or, to, or for somebody to become an insider, a threat. Money. The enemy will use money. Number two, he will use M, money. I, ideology, beliefs or principles. Number three, C, compromise. Sex, power, position, and the last one, ego, your pride. Your pride. The enemy will use these things against you. Well, we see it's effective. Your ego, I think, is the worst one. Because normally you don't see it, you know, we got to be careful of money. Don't be alone with the money. I'm, told, I'm taught that. Don't be alone with the money. Don't be a, alone with the women. And don't rob God of his glory. But the ego. You know, a lot of times it's inwardly and no one sees it. It's, well, I'm better than so-and-so. Or I should have that position. It's areas where we're jealous and that we're harboring ill will internally. It's an internal thing. You see, the enemy will stroke our egos and it doesn't take much. Man, you're so much better. Oh, you're so good looking. He knows the buttons to push when when it comes to bringing you down. And here in the text, we see here these tactics. And the reason why is that they're so effective. The enemy uses these tactics and they're so effective. Oh, you're so strong. Somebody might say, oh, you're so understanding. Man, you pay attention to me. You're giving me attention. And there comes those fluttering eyelashes. You see, it's all a lie. There's a cost for sin. We will have to pay for sin. And in verse 6, it says, And so Zeliah said to Samson, Please tell me your great, where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings and yet dried, I will become weak and become like other men. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that not yet dried, and she bound him uh, with them. And the men were lying in wait, saying to her in the room, staying with her in the room, and said to him, she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yard breaks when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me, with what may we bound you with? So he said to her, If you bind me securely with new ropes that never have been used, then I shall become weak and shall be like any other man. Therefore, Deliah took the new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, said to the Philistines, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men, for the men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me. What you may be bound with. And he said to her. If you weave the seven locks of my head. Into the web of a loom. So she wove it tightly. With a pattern of the loom. And said to him. The Philistines are upon you. But he woke from his sleep. And pulled out the batten. And the web of the loom. So, number one, sin will get you caught up like Samson. We dabble with sin. We play with matches. We play with sin like Samson. We too will be enraptured 
with the enticement. It's just a matter of time that we give in. This will blind us so that we cannot or we willingly ignore the red flags. Here she says, you know, we're going to afflict you. The Philistines are upon you. And he's ignoring the red flags. Why? He's so enraptured. He's so captivated by his desire for sin. That he's ignoring the red flags that God is clearly showing him. You see, sin will cause you also here. Look at Samson's character. Sin will cause you to lie constantly to those you, you profess to love. Like it's no big deal. He keeps lying to her. He's professing love to her, but he's lying to her. Sin will cause you to lie to the ones you love. I know. I've been there. Cause you to lie like it's no big deal. Sin will cause you to betray those you love. We see this with Delilah. We see this with David. David loved Uriah, the Hittite. He betrayed him. Sin will cause you to betray the ones you love. Lie to those who you love. The enemy of our souls will lie in wait for you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, Be sober-minded or clear-thinking. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. See, it's just a matter of time if we play with matches. Like Samson, we could get caught, so caught up in the pursuit of sin We could even, with knowing the enemy's intentions to do us harm, but make it playful or be playful, like it's no big deal. But sin is deadly. Sin is deadly. Any sin is deadly. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But how serious do we take that warning? The wages of sin is death. How many of us really take seriously the warnings that the wages of sin is death? See, if we continually play with matches like sin, we are eventually going to get burned. This is the warning to me that God was speaking to me. He's speaking to you. We are warned in Scripture in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 and Psalms chapter 19. Moreover, by the Scriptures, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there's great reward. We are warned for God, by God for good reason. God loves us, but He will discipline us, and He will teach us hard lessons like this to get our attention. Why? Because you're going to get burned. It's just a matter of time. You see, the enemy of the soul, if he can't get you by enticement or baiting you by pleasure or favors, he will turn to the area of the emotion of your heart. It'll start becoming an emotional draw. He'll change his tactics. The enemy of our souls will change to get you. In verses 16 through 20, and it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. That he told her all his heart. And he said to her, no razor has come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite separated to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave and I shall become weak. And be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come at once, for he has told me all his heart. So the Lord of the Lords of the Philistines came upon her and brought her money and put it in her hand. Then she lured lured him into a deep sleep on her knees and called for a man, a barber, to shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, 
I will go out before as at other times. I will shake shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Wow. You know, when when I read this, I was like, Lord, help me not to think I could go out as other times in my own strength or get away with sin. You see, the enemy has, is a, has a goal to make you become weak with playing with sin. And playing with sin will make you weak. He, the enemy will pick you apart little by little. The enemy will pester you and appeal to your emotions in a heavy draw. He knows what you, your buttons, he knows what to push. We see in verse 17, the enemy draws you in till he gets a hold of your heart. He gets a hold of your heart and then you begin to willingly conceive. You, be, you, you begin to cave in. You see, the enemy of our souls will try to draw us out to a more vulnerable position. From being separated to God to being separated from God. I need to be separated to God, our, our close to God instead of separated from God. See, God doesn't leave. He's omnipresent. When we play with sin, the sin leads us in an opposite direction from where we should be with God. This is the weakest possible position. You see, when you know I do martial arts, when somebody's in front of me, it's 100% me against them. You know, I, I could fight. I could defend myself. Because it's right in front of me. But when the enemy's behind me, I'm putting myself in a vulnerable position. I'm, I, you know, I, I've left God and I'm going in a place where, I, man, I am full, ready for attack. They call it this the Ark of Destruction. Right here, I'm okay. Back here, I'm destroyed. And I'm putting my... If we're playing with sin, we're putting ourselves in a, in a vulnerable position to be set up for destruction. We set ourselves, when we walk away from God and we're playing from sin, we put ourselves in the weakest possible position for destruction. Because playing with matches, playing with sin, you will eventually get burned See, the source of his strength was in his relationship with God. His hair was just an outward part of that covenant, of that relationship. But his strength was in the Lord. His relationship with the Lord. And in verse 20, it says, And he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as before, as at, as, as other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. I have to ask myself, where are you this morning? I asked myself this question this morning. Am I right with God? Am I right where I need to be with God? Are you playing with sin like playing with matches? You know, I remember the movie, The Thief in the Night, back in the 70s. We watched it at church and, uh, you know, it really, it scared me. That God's good, the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night. And those who left are left behind are going to see great destruction. I remember that movie. And I remember, you know, watching that in my church as a young boy. And one day I was taking a nap at home and uh, I was asleep. And then I woke up and I went in the kitchen to look for my mom. And I was calling, Mom, Mom. And I remember on the stove, my mom was simmering some food and, and the, the vapors were coming up. I could see the steam. I remember the steam. And, but my mom was nowhere to be found. And my heart sunk. I was like, wow, I'm left behind. You see, I knew the scriptures that the great tribulation was going to come. Where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 8, all these are the beginning of the sorrows. It's going to be a bad time. It's going to be a time of great distortion of truth. 
You're going to be betrayed by your loved ones. There's going to be great spiritual deception and unmatched destruction that is coming to this ungodly world. Because this ungodly world is carelessly playing with fire. And then we're ripe for judgment. We're ripe for judgment. You know, if, if, if God doesn't judge us, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology because, man, we are wicked. We're wicked society. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through 27 and 32, speaking of the second coming, as the days of Noah were, so it will be also the days of the Son of Man. They ate and they drank, they got married and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. It's going to happen. And regarding those who are being rescued from God's judgment, Jesus warns, remember Lot's wife. Here, God was saving her from destruction, and she looked back. Her heart was back in Sodom. Where's your heart? She played with fire. You see, for the enemy of our soul seeks to destroy you before... And we see here with Samson in verse 21, then the Philistines took him and they put out his eyes and they brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetters, speaking of bronze, always speaking of judgment. And he became a grinder in prison. The enemy will oppress us. He will oppress you, robbing you of the joys of the blessings you once had. The blessings that you once had. The enemy will blind you spiritually. Missing out or witnessing on what God wants to do and do in your life or what God has for you. He will keep you in bondage. Maybe to a vice or make your life miserable. He'll be a cruel taskmaster to you. But look in verse 23. 22, however, his hair began to grow again after it had been shaven. Remember, he said the source of his strength was, I, I said the source of his strength was his relationship with God. His hair was just an outward part of that relationship. You know, I, I think he had time here to repent. To consider where he was and what he has done. And that's God's grace. Even though he did something wicked and he was on a downward decline and even though he was rock bottom, God gave him time to repent. Here this once great man was blind, beaten, and humiliated, and broken. But I thank the Lord for second chances. Because I was here. I was like this. By God's grace. Don't play with sin. Verse 23 uh, to, through 31. And the, it says, Now the lords of the Philistines were gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. And they said, Our God has delivered us delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson, that, we, that he may perform for us. So they called for him, for Samson, from prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between two pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women, the lords of the Philistines. And there were about uh, 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Solomon, uh, Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, Lord, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O oh Lord, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. 
And Samson took hold of the two pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that were killed at his death were more than he killed in his life. And his brothers and his father's household came down and took him. And they brought him up and they buried him between uh, Zorah and Estol in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he judged Israel 20 years. You see, one of the problems here is they attribute their victory over Samson to their god Dagon. You see, they said, our God has delivered our enemy, Samson, into our hands. However, the victory wasn't due to their God. It was self-inflicted. Samson, it wasn't their God. It was due to self-inflicted consequences of Samson playing with fire. It happened to the strongest man here, called by God, it could happen to us. Secondly, they thought they brought Samson out to mock him. They delighted in his misery and his sufferings. And there's a lesson for us here when it comes to uh, maybe not being like this. They, they mocked their enemy. Samson, they considered Samson their enemy and they, they began to mock him. But Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. We shouldn't rejoice when our enemies fall. And it says, do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. You know, a lot of times we're, oh, he got what he got, got what he could, was coming for him. We shouldn't rejoice when the enemy falls, especially when he stumbles. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Why? James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, these proud hearts were lifted up. The enemy and his cohorts of this world, they may enjoy temporary joy. They, they're going to enjoy their entertainment, but it is only short-lived. This world, it, it's a party. There's, they're enjoying a temporary joy, their entertainment, but it like these people, is only short-lived. Now we finally see Samson here praying. This is the first time we see Samson praying. God heard Samson, but it wasn't for revenge for his eyes. God allowed the temple to fall because it was time for these people to pay for their own sins, their own doings. They were not innocent. This passage nor the rest of Scripture never, ever justify suicide as an option for difficulties. It's always seen in a negative light. It's never seen positive. But we're taught in the Bible... I was taught in Bible school to look at three things when approaching the Bible or Bible study. How does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? How does this apply to the church? And how does this apply to the world? For me and for you individually, we need to check our hearts. Are we all good? Are we good with God? Because a lot of times we, we really have to check our heart because a lot of times we hear a message and we say, you know, if so-and-so were here, that was a good message for him. We're always looking for the message for somebody else. But no, this applies to you. You're here and God wants to speak to you individually. Samson's time in God's service here is 20 years. Pastor Chuck said of this passage that it's a sad story of Samson. And it's being repeated over and over as we see men and women with wasted potentials. God has empowered people with talents and abilities. They've wasted them because of the weakness of their own flesh. They never achieve, they never obtain the full glory and the power that God wants in their lives. 
they miss out. We miss out because of sin. Wasted potential is a story of many people. A tragic biography, wasted. His life was wasted. He could have done so much more for God. He could have been such a power for the kingdom of God. He could have been so influential in bringing others to the Lord, but his life was wasted. He was destroyed by the weakness of his own flesh. You can play with fire, but you're ultimately going to get burned. Sometimes when people are successful, they have this sense of of playing around with their passions. Don't play around with your passions. Some might think that they're a master of the situation, or he or she might think that they're getting away with it, but eventually it's going to catch you like it did here. The world is always trying to lure us away from God with its shallow offers and short-term promises and temporal pleasures, and it's all a lie. The enemy's tempting you with a lie. It's not worth it. It's not going to satisfy you. Don't be fooled. Trust the Lord even in the face of great difficulties. For he never offers a promise he doesn't keep. Now how does this church apply this to their lives? How does the church apply this? Number one, do you have a relationship with the Lord? That's the most important thing. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? In Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 through 21, 23, it says, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Is your life matching that of Scripture this morning? If not, there's time to turn. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonderful things or wonders in your name? You see, we can't think that because we do things that are wonderful in the name of God, that that will save us. It will not. Our works do not save us. Then Jesus said, I will declare to them on that day, I never knew you. There's no real relationship with God. Jesus says, it's not real. You're just playing church. And he says, depart from me. And he left a good indicator for us to check our hearts. And we could gauge ourselves with this. Warning us, his professing people, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The line is drawn in the sign and you're continually stepping over the line. That's a warning to us. Lastly, the world, just like the people here, having good times, but they won't last. Mocking the people of faith when clearly... God's people don't measure up. We don't measure up. We all fall short. We're not perfect. The world thinks that we are in bondage by trying to walk according to God's word and living by his ways. They think we're in bondage. But just like the story, one day judgment is coming. Things that bring enjoyment and the things that support them will all collapse. Samson saved some of the people from the wickedness of their enemy, but a better of Samson has come to rescue us. Jesus. Hebrews 9, 27, 28 says, And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, And unto them that look to him, he shall appear a second time without sin for salvation. Where do you stand this morning? Are you playing with matches? Jesus said, in Matthew 16, 26, 
What is the profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Man, it's not worth it. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord, and we thank you, Father, for your loving warnings, Lord. Father, we thank you, Father, for the promise that we could have new life and everlasting life by a miraculous birth of being born again. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would consider where we're at. Father, that we would consider where we're at. Are we separated to you or we're separated from you? Father, you called us to be separated to you. You called us to be set apart for your glory, for our good, Lord. You called us to be Christ-like and we fall short, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord, as time and time again you were trying to warn Samson and he ignored the warnings. He ignored the Spirit's warning. Father, we pray this morning that that would not be the case. If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart because He does. He's knocking on the doors of your heart. He's warning you. He's pleading with you. Don't continue down that road. Don't, you're playing with matches. You're going to get burned. Don't exchange what I have for a lie. If that's at you this morning, if God's speaking to you this morning, you need to repent. You need to come to the Lord this morning. And I asked David this morning to play a song. And if God's speaking to you, I want to invite you to come forward. You need to give your heart to the Lord. You need to lay down those things, set them aside. And you need to come. Time is short. It's appointed for man to die once, then the judgment you don't want to be in that place where God said, the Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, come. So as a worship team plays, the Lord speaks to you. I want to invite you to come.